start our new series and our new study in the book of Romans this morning, From Faith to Freedom. It's subtitled, possibly today, if we were to give a specific title to today, other than an introduction, it would be this, A Unique Foundation, that uh, Romans describes uh, a unique foundation to the gospel that without it, the gospel does not stand. And Paul will go over these next several chapters laying this foundation upon which all of the gospel stands. It's his longest and most um, specific theological treatise, writing, theory, uh, not theory, but thesis, um, or thematic of, of what the gospel is and who it is. Some have called it uh, Paul's theology to the gospel, that the the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John established the Gospel, and then Romans is the theology of how that Gospel and its implications work itself out in our lives. And so it's an important book, an essential book, for us to begin to understand. It will be a challenging letter for us. It continues to challenge me in this day. Uh, so it should be our prayer that our minds would remain open uh, we want to always be conforming to what the Scriptures say, not necessarily what we think that they said or what we've heard that they have said, but we want our minds open to what the Spirit has actually written in the Word of God and then conform our thoughts and our understanding to what the Scripture says it should be. Uh, this is not the tradition of men, which we will soon find out, but it is the Gospel of our Lord God and thereby we submit to him and his words and his authority. It's an interesting book. It's a very transforming book, a, a book that has um, set apart many men and women in a direction uh, for Christ and an obedience to Christ in a way like no other book. One is certainly um, uh, uh, Augustine that many of you have heard, St. Augustine of Hippo. Uh, what you may not know about him is that he lived a pretty raunchy lifestyle before he became a believer. That uh, he was well known for uh, being sort of the Casanova of his day. Uh, that he loved a good party, that he loved a good wine, he loved a good strong drink. He loved, uh, he loved dating, we might say. Uh, he had a long reputation for that. And uh, then as he began to live a more and more licentious and uh, sinful lifestyle, one day in a garden he heard a small voice of a child, a voice, it's a microphone. <laughs> he heard the voice of a small child saying, Tola lege. And what that means in Latin is this, take up and read. And he looked around to what he might take up and read, and sure enough, there in the garden was a Bible. And he opened the Bible, or he grabbed the Bible, and it opened itself to Romans 13:13, 13, 13, which says this. I might just read that for you real quick. Um, as uh, he reads, says this: um, Let let uh, sorry, let darkness leave darkness and put on. Uh, Gosh, I'm sorry. I'm just not doing well right now. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
So you might imagine if you were Augustine and the Bible flew over, you heard a little voice out of nowhere say, take up and read, and you open this up, and then you see your life right there in, in living color before the Lord. And he says, put all that aside and take on the righteousness of Christ. Your life might change. Uh, as it did for Augustine, who became one of the great theologians and fathers of the faith in the 2nd and the 3rd century. And of course, later would come this Augustinian monk back in the 16th century um, who read these verses that we read this morning. Uh, after being a Catholic monk for, long, for a long time, he read uh, 1.16, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and the Greek. And then, of course, Martin Luther changed the world with, For if righteousness is to be revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, which started, it was the flint of the Reformation, of which we come out of as a church body, that he repudiated and rejected all that was of the Roman Catholic Church, that if a righteousness could be gained by works, then it made Martin Luther hate God. It frustrated him. And so this one verse radically changed his life, radically changed the church, and radically changed history forever and forever. And of course, it's affected all sorts of men and women, like I said earlier, that have read this book and have conformed to what is said in this book. So it would be our prayer that we might do that this morning as well. little side story I remember... Um, we were first married, we thought the opportunity for us to have children probably would not happen, biologically, children of our own. We were assured by the doctors that that possibility was pretty small. And so we didn't think much about that until about three years later, or two years later, I guess it was, we, we got the news that Lee did not have the flu, that she actually was pregnant. Uh, um, you might imagine the joy that I felt and that Lee felt. We were ecstatic. We were amazed that, uh, that God had done this in our lives. We were relieved. And it was really, really good news uh, for two people who really wanted to have children. Um, and then, you know, of course, as a new parent, the next thing that rushes into your mind, well, will it be healthy? Will, you know, everything be okay? Will, will Lee be all right? Will the baby be all right? And you might imagine as the time went on and the doctor told us, she's doing well, the baby's doing well, everything's going great. My joy grew even deeper and my, my excitement about this new child to come was, was just ecstatic. And then, then I heard it was a son. And uh, I was equally as ecstatic if it had been a daughter. Um, but there was, a, there was a joy there that we were going to have a boy and we were going to have a son. And then all of a sudden, it's, we know that it's going to uh, be on a certain date that it's coming. And you can imagine when our oldest was born, the joy and the thrill that we felt. And all along, it was a progression of knowing this freedom of enjoying that which at first was just a joy became a great uh, celebration of freedom seeing this new life come into the world that we were able to hold and touch. Then it brought a whole new set of worries. But, um, but it was incredible how our joy grew. And I, it's my prayer that as you and I study this letter of Paul to the Roman church, we begin to have our joy increase and our freedom increase on what God has done within us. And maybe that the gospel will be born anew in us 
And maybe for some of you who the gospel has never been born into, that you will be born again as Augustine was and and Luther was and I have been by the book of Romans. So let that be our prayer. Let our minds be open to what the Spirit would do. It will be challenging. Sometimes it will get tedious. But I promise you in the end your joy will be greater because of the gospel birthing within you. So let's get started. In verse 1 Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, uh, set apart for the, apostle, the um, gospel of God. A couple of things to notice real quick, and, the, and what I really want us to notice this morning is the uniqueness of the gospel. That there's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's all sorts of other religions, and I would, I would even venture to say and guess that uh, the gospel is not just another religion. Uh, we are religious about the gospel, but it's not a religion. It's not a, a track that we follow out of, out of behavior, but it's a transformation of a new birth into a new way of living because God has transformed our hearts from stone into flesh, made them alive, that you and I belong to God and we understand that we live a different way because we belong to God. Even in the way that we pray, we pray differently than other people and other religions pray, don't we? If you look at the other religions, they mostly do chants. They, they chant and praying that somehow their chant will appease their God. And that, that if they do it the right way and they do it often enough, uh, that God will somehow become happy with them, whoever their God is, or at least not be angry with them any longer. And the Christian prayer is something that's much different, is it not? It's a conversation and a relationship with the living God based upon not about fear, certainly fear of respect, but not an inappropriate fear that somehow we might be smited or struck down, but we're invited in to approach the throne of grace boldly as those who have a relationship with God to be able to speak with our Father. In fact, Jesus himself, the second person of the Godhead, instructs us, does he not, to call upon the first person God, our Father. That's a unique intimacy, a unique term, is it not, that only a Christian has the privilege of calling. I mean, if you think about this for just a moment, let it sink in. Who else gets to call the magnificent creator of all things, Daddy? There's no other religion. It's not the Muslim faith, not, not Buddhism, uh, not Zen, not nothing. There's nothing on this earth that can make that transaction happen from God, please hear, please don't strike me down. Please let me somehow earn my way to you, to the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, the Son of God has torn the temple and invites you in boldly to call Him Daddy. You see, that's what Paul says here, that this gospel is unique. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart because the gospel of God. That this gospel is of God. It's not something that man made up. It's not something that some church somewhere long ago thought, well, let's call this thing a gospel, this belief in Jesus, and we'll, do, we'll have some ceremonies and we'll, we'll do a few songs that sound like Jesus, and then we'll call it a church and, and then we'll call this whole thing the gospel. We'll set up some rules and uh, we'll behave a certain way and uh, everything will be okay. 
That's man-made. And that is simply the traditions of men. But the gospel is something quite different. In fact, this word gospel is used oftentimes in the Old Testament. It's under a different word and a different Hebrew name, but it's the same word that means the same thing. You'll find it all through Isaiah from the 40th chapter on. And it means this, the coming kingdom of God who has conquered death and conquered everything, every enemy that he's had so that Israel, his people, would reign forever. It's the good news. The Greek word is euangelion. That word is simply a militaristic term that means this, our king wins. And he brings in all the loot and all the treasures with him to share with his people. It's the gospel, it's the good news that our king has been the ultimate victor over all things. This is God's gospel, not man's gospel. It's unique to him. He's been saying it from Genesis chapter 3 on, that he would provide one to crush the head of the serpent. That he would put in a new heart in his people. It's a revelation of God himself, that God would establish a plan of redemption. God could have left us in the dark. God could have left us to mire in our own sin. God could have left us in a puddle of pity. God could have left us in the corruption of death. But no, God revealed His plan by revealing Himself as the Gospel. Why would He do that? Because unique to God only, God wanted you to know His heart. God wanted you to know that He loves you. That sounds sentimental, it sounds warm and fuzzy, but it also should sound very convicting. There's a weight, there's a gravitas to the words from the Holy of Holies of Holy to say that He sets His affection upon you. It's not just like a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister or a girlfriend or a boyfriend saying I love you. This is the word from the omniscient Omnipresent God who says to you, My affections by my own will and by my own holiness are set upon your heart. More than just a child saying, Daddy, Mommy, I love you. But it's the living God telling you that you are loved by Him. That is transforming, that is transacting, and that will make your life different forever when you realize the distance that He covered between His beauty, His holiness, and our fleshliness to say, my gospel is for you because I love you. It is my plan to bring you to my own heart by giving you my heart on a cross that you might be with me forever. How dare us not be astonished and awakened by that? How dare us not be transformed when the omniscient God says, I know you. I made you. I made you for myself. And I love you so much that my son is going to die for you so that you might live with me forever. Take up 
and read that. Read the uniqueness of that because there's no other voice like His voice that speaks to you with the weight and the gravity of His voice telling you that you are His. It is the gospel of God. He owns it. He reveals it because it's His heart for redemption. The second thing that makes it unique is this promise kept. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. It says, It is the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son who was descended by David of David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness in His resurrection from the dead. Every single prophecy. Some of you I know love Old Testament prophecy. Good thing you should love it. You should know it. But you should understand that at the root of every single Old Testament prophecy is the revelation of His Son, Jesus, who would come and bring us restoration. Not just for one nation, but for all nations. That the book of Romans reveals to us that God's heart was not just for a nation in Palestine, but for all worlds, all people types, all tongues, all races, all socioeconomic statuses, that the gospel has come for all mankind. As Paul would later say, in Christ there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, but we are all one in Jesus Christ. There's no barbarian, no Scythian, but we are one in Jesus Christ. And that everything in the Old Testament from, I said earlier, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, as I told you when I first came here, that it's what? All about Him. That everything in the Scriptures of the 66 books of Scripture all point to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The most significant person who's ever lived. The most significant person who does live. The most significant person that ever will live. Some of us think of Jesus as a nice teacher. Some of us think of Jesus as a nice guy who taught us how to just wink and nod at people who hurt us or, or to do nice things for everybody. But few of us ever anymore today think of Jesus as God. The Lord who demands absolute devotion. He will not allow you and I to have any other lords but Himself. He will not let the Lord of human prejudices, the Lord of money, the Lord of reputation, the Lord of power, He will not any, let any lesser lords rule over our life. Only He will be Lord over our lives. And you say, well, what am I to do with that? Well, you will either bend your knee and submit to it. Or you will die. Because the gospel, there is no gospel other than Jesus Christ. There is no way unto salvation except through Jesus Christ. 
There is only death and corruption and eternal punishment apart from Jesus Christ. This is how significant it is. How is it so? Because God the Father provided His Son, God the Son, for one thing and one thing only, to be the propitiation, the burnt offering, the consumed sacrifice for you. And you think, or I think, that we might insult the cross of Christ by thinking there's another way? When even the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if there is another way, show me. But not my will, but your will be done. And the will of God the Father was that Christ would be consumed in His wrath so that you might know the gospel of His affections. How can we ever take that lightly? How can we not be transformed by that? How can life not be different? How can our view of the world not be transformed? Because we realize that this is the promise that God made long ago. And that God kept it through the death of His Son, and God continues to keep it through the power of His resurrected Son, Jesus, whose Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives within us. That seals us and marks us as His. Every prophecy, every prophet from Moses... To Abraham, to Moses, to David, to Elijah, to Elisha, to Isaiah, to Ezekiel, Hosea, Habakkuk. Everything points to Jesus. Why? Because for the third reason of the Gospel, it's He is the only unique liberator of our slavery. You say, what are we enslaved to? That question comes right out of our pharisaical hearts, does it not? The Pharisees asked the same question of him in the Gospel of John. You call us slaves. We're not slaves. We're free men. We live in America. In fact, we live in right next door to Massachusetts, the home of freedom. Right? Much like the Pharisees of their day thought. Why do you call us slaves? We're the children of Abraham. We're Americans. We're Abrahamians. And they were so blind they couldn't recognize the slavery that they were under in the curse of sin, death. Every single human being that walks the face of this earth, if you don't understand everything that you're enslaved to, understand the one thing we all have in common is enslavement, which is death. I know of no man who's chose not to die who has done it. You may be 20-something, teen-something, 60-something, 80, 90-something, maybe even 100-something. It's going to get you. We're enslaved to it. Because our flesh is corrupt from sin. 
And there's only one hope and one hope only, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that enlivens our spirits to live unto God forever because Jesus came to liberate us from the fear of death, to relieve us from the punishment of death, and to relieve us from the perjury of death. And it tells us by faith and faith alone that we are to believe that Jesus died our death on our behalf so that we know that we live His life before the Father for the glory of the Son. This is why Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew. He's not putting them in order, but understanding they came to the Jews first. And also, though, to the Greek. In other words, it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Greeks, but it's for the entire human race. He's not ashamed to stand before the entire human race and say it is for righteousness. It is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith to faith. Not my righteousness. Not someone else's righteousness. Not the righteousness of some other saint. Not the righteousness of our works. But it is the righteousness of God that is applied to you and applied to me. How? From faith to faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I do not need to have faith in my own works. I know what they are. And I know what they are not. It doesn't take a lot of faith. What God is calling me to is to have faith that everything that I deserve and continue to deserve, He has accomplished the payment for. And that because of that, He has liberated me. And that His words in John 8, who the Son has set free, is free indeed. He has liberated me from the punishment of sin, from the power of sin, and from the perjury of sin that would tell me it's not true. How can we as a church stand idly by when the gospel of Christ has come to liberate His people from death and from fear and from forsakenness that we would be quiet before the world, encapsulated in our walls, doing our own thing instead of standing boldly next to the cross of Christ, pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, with one hand and pointing to the empty tomb with another and saying, world, listen to the gospel. Listen to the liberator who reigns. Bring your faith to the person of Jesus. How do we respond? What are we to do? Well, the first thing is we understand there is no gospel apart from God. You can do a lot of good things. You can sing a lot of nice songs. You can do an awful lot of service work. You can, you can do everything just perfectly the right way according to human standards. You can be just like the Apostle Paul. Comes from a good family. 
zealot according to the faith. According to the law, he was perfectly righteous. And yet he found out at the end of the day it was all dung compared to knowing the righteousness of Christ. You see, apart from God, there is no gospel. There's no self-made gospel. There's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to have a relationship in the gospel, you will have to come through Christ to have it. Then, secondly, begin to know the promise. Begin to know the promise not on the outside, but begin to know the promise in your heart. Our whole point in studying the book of Romans is this, that that assurity, that knowledge of the promise will become more and more in your own heart so that you will become more and more free to be able to live more and more freely for Christ and less for yourself. And then third, honor the liberator. How do you honor Christ? You honor Christ by following His commands. If Jesus tells you, as we just studied throughout Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, and the Sermon on the Mount, if He tells you this is the way that you are to live, then you and I are to live that way. You and I must reject the idea of Roman Catholicism in the same way that Luther did. We must live wholeheartedly in the righteousness of Christ so that, so that we may manifest the righteousness of Christ in the way that we live and best honor the liberator by looking like him. Paul will later in Romans 8, when we get there, we'll say that. That God is working all things together for your good, for those who love Him and called according to His purpose, so that they may be what? Conformed to the image of His Son. That is the uniqueness of the Gospel. There's no other faith like it. That you should be conformed to look like the second person of the Trinity. Why? One simple reason. He loves you. And is determined to set his affections upon you. The Holy One of Israel. Take that up. And read it. Let's pray.